Welcome to the Golden Age of Comic Books. Hey, Golden Age fans, and welcome to the 57th installment of the Golden Age of Comic Books. This is Bill Jordan, your host, and I'm very glad you're here. Well, in our last episode, we talked about the Black Hood, so I thought I'd keep a theme going and talk about another black-garbed superhero from the Golden Age of Comic Books, and that is the Black Terror. So stay tuned for a discussion about the Golden Age great, the Black Terror. But before we talk about him, I wanted to mention uh, a book that uh, I actually picked up uh, a number of years ago and really hadn't read it in quite a while and uh, pulled it out just to sort of check it out again and refresh my recollection about some things. And that is a book entitled Seal of Approval, The History of the Comics Code. It's written by Amy Nyberg. It was published by the University Press of Mississippi in 1998, and it listed her at the time as being a professor in the Department of Communications at Seton Hall University. I don't know if she's still there, uh, but the reason I'm pointing this book out is I get a lot of questions uh, from time to time about the Comics Code Authority and how it came about in the 1950s, the whole Kefauver Commission hearings uh, that led to, in some people's minds, the demise of the comic book in the 1950s, and of course to censorship of comic books with the Comics Code Authority and otherwise in the 1950s. Uh, of course, uh, the infamous book in uh, the comic book collecting circles, The Seduction of the Innocent by Frederick Wortham, and many other uh, sources for um, censorship of comic books back during this time frame. And uh, I thought that uh, this book, when I read it uh, several years ago, was probably the, the most complete work discussing the entire uh, evolution of the criticism of comics in this time frame that led up to the enactment of the first Comics Code Authority in 1954. And, of course, the code um, was amended in 71 and then again in 89. And, of course, nowadays nobody really uh, uh, complies with the code or even talks about the code in the publication of comic books. But certainly it was a milestone event in the history of the publication of comics and if you're interested in the evolution of all of that, uh, check this book out. Now, I discussed the Senate subcommittee hearings back in the 50s. I discussed that in episode 28 of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. So you can check that out. I also discussed in that episode the Mad and Panic books put out by EC back during the same time frame. But again, uh, I think that if you're, if you're uh, interested in... in a good detailed review of the history of this time. Uh, check this book out. And I'll read to you from the back cover of the book that talks a little bit about the contents. I think it'll give you a pretty good flavor of what you can expect if you pick up this book. Uh, it starts out and says, A study of the history of comic book censorship. The content of comic books has been governed, governed by an industry self-regulatory code adopted by publishers in 1954 in response to public and governmental pressure. This book, the first full-length study of this period of comic book history, examines the reasons that comic books were the subject of heated controversy. It began in the 1930s when parents and teachers accused comic books of contaminating children's culture by luring young readers away from more appropriate material. Following World War II, the, the criticism shifted to content, and the reading of comic books became linked to the rise of juvenile delinquency. This resulted in attempts at the local, state, and national levels to ban or license comic book sales. 
The negative publicity, coupled with fears of censorship legislation, led publishers to adopt the self-regulatory code. It has been changed only twice in 1971 and 1989. While the code offers protection against those who engage in attacks, its legacy is one that continues to define the medium as essentially juvenile literature and reaffirms public perception of comic books as children's fare. In tracing the evolution of the controversy and the resulting code, seal of approval shows that the comic book has yet to achieve legitimation as a unique form of expression appreciated by readers of all ages. So that sort of sets the tone for this book, and I think you'll find, as I said, a very excellent discussion uh, contained in uh, in the text. Now, if you're a fan of EC Comics, there's a bonus. Uh, you'll find reprinted in this particular book uh, the entire story called The Whipping from Shock Suspense Stories number 13. Um, that uh, story dealt with uh, uh, racism and racial slurs and so on and so forth. And it was cited by Wortham as an example of why comic books were bad. And it was cited by Bill Gaines, of course, uh, the publisher and owner of EC Comics, as an example of why comic books were good in terms of uh, educating the public and, and sending a social message about uh, the wrong of, of uh, racism. So check that out. If you're interested in reading that reprint, uh, you'll find it in this book. Now, I don't know if this book is still available um, you can, uh, I'm sure, do a Google search for it. Uh, the cover price on it was $18. Uh, the ISBN number is 0 87 805 975-X. You might be able to find it uh, that way. And again, uh, it was published by the University Press of Mississippi in 1998. Uh, one last time, the title is Seal of Approval, The History of the Comics Code by Amy Nyberg. And again, if you're interested in learning about uh, the evolution of the Comics Code Authority and the censorship efforts that went uh, that, that were underway in the 1950s regarding comic books, check that book out. It'll give you a really great history lesson about this very, very pivotal and interesting time in the late golden age of comic books. All right, well, let's get away from censorship and all that negative publicity that comic books got in the mid-1950s and talk about something cool from the golden age of comic books, and that is the Black Terror, Nemesis of Evil. The Black Terror is certainly uh, one of the most memorable of the superheroes, in my mind, from the golden age of comic books because I think uh, probably he had one of the coolest costumes of any of the superheroes from the golden age of comic books and had some of the best uh, covers in the various magazines in which he appeared as drawn by the great Alex Schomburg during the golden age of comic books. And we'll talk about those in just a little bit. But the Black Terror was a superhero, as I mentioned, and uh, he got his start in the pages of Exciting Comics. That was a publication by Nieder. If you recall when I talked about The Fighting Yank in one of our previous episodes, he was also published by the same company. But I think The Black Terror became probably one of the most of the uh, uh, the most popular superheroes created by this company and published by this company during the golden age of comic books. So let's talk about him and where he appeared and how he got his start and what his origin was. The Black Terror first appeared in the pages of Exciting Comics number 9. That was the May 1941 issue. And this particular story 
contains his first appearance and his origin, and it also contains the first appearance and origin of his sidekick. Now, his sidekick didn't have uh, a cool name like the Black Terror, although his costume was identical to the Black Terror's costume, just a little bit smaller, but he went by the name of Tim. That was his uh, sidekick name and his real name, Tim. Uh, let's talk about the costume for a minute. I've mentioned it a couple of times now that I think it's one of the coolest. It's hard to uh, to give you a visual here in uh, a podcast. And I'm not doing those enhanced podcasts anymore because of the time they took. But uh, the Black Terror had uh, a costume that was, of course, predominantly black. Um, pretty cool thing. It was all black with gold trim. He had a gold belt uh, and gold trim on his uh, gloves and on his boots and uh, gold trim that uh, held his cape on. The cape that he had was a dual-color reversible cape. It was red on the inside and a dark blue or gray on the outside. But the coolest thing about the Black Terra's costume was the symbol on his chest, and that was a skull and crossbones. So if you want to uh, strike fear into the hearts of criminals, you can do it in the guise of the Batman, but by golly, the Black Terror, I'm sure, could do it with that skull and crossbones on his uh, on his chest. Now, he didn't have a cool uh, headpiece. He just had a, a standard mask that a lot of the superheroes wore. Uh, but he uh, did have, uh, as I said, that, that really, uh, really cool Golden Age super suit that he wore. Now, Tim's costume was exactly the same, as I said, just a little bit smaller. Uh, they got those costumes uh, from a local costume shop. Uh, supposedly, they were used in a play. And I'm not sure what play it was, but... Uh, they're very cool costumes, nevertheless. So let's talk about the origin of the Black Terror and what kind of powers he had and, and how he did what he did during the Golden Age of comic books. His story begins in the pages of Exciting Comics number 9. This was also his very first cover appearance uh, and, and the first of many, many cover appearances in the Golden Age of comic books. And as that story begins, we learn that uh, the person who will become the Black Terror is actually a pharmacist, and his name is Bob Benton. He has a small pharmacy across the street from City Hall in whatever town or city that they lived in. And as the story opens, we find that uh, Bob Benton, who is apparently a very weak and very mild and timid person, is accosted by a couple of thugs who are looking for protection money from him at his pharmacy. And he says, well, he doesn't have the money business has been bad and they'll have to come back tomorrow and of course they threaten him and and uh, use a little bit of violence against him and tell him that if he doesn't have that money by golly they're going to come back and take care of him the following day and as the thugs leave Bob Benton's pharmacy they come across a boy who is standing out on the sidewalk uh, and they push him down and uh, tell him beat it this ain't no resting place for punks uh, and pushed the boy to the ground. Of course, uh, Bob Benton sees this, and despite the fact that he is very meek and mild, he uh, runs over and tells the thug who pushed the boy down, hey, you can't do that. Well, the thug immediately pushes him to the ground and and uh, makes pretty short work of Benton. Meanwhile, Gene Starr, who was the secretary to the mayor and uh, uh, the city controller, Rodney Clark, witnessed all of this, and Clark, who's kind of a tough guy, uh, make sure the thugs uh, get a little bit of his fist in their faces and he drives them away, but they still threaten to come back. Clark then admonishes Bob Benton and says, 
you know, you really need to learn how to fight and stick up for yourself uh, and do a little bit of a better job at not only defending yourself, but this kid who was pushed to the ground. Now, I think at this point in time, uh, after about six panels of this story, uh, you get the feeling that not only does Bob Benton uh, look kind of like Clark Kent, but he sure acts like Clark Kent uh, in his guise as the mild-mannered reporter. So I think uh, uh, there's certainly a resemblance there between the two, both in look and in uh, mannerisms. Then the uh, the scene shifts, and we find out that the boy who was pushed to the ground is named Tim Rowland, and uh, he walks over and thanks Bob Benton for trying to protect him from those thugs. And Benton says to him, well, I don't know what you're thanking me for. I couldn't even defend myself. And and uh, Tim says, well, you know, that's what uh, what's really good about what you did because it took real nerve to step in and try to save me from, from these thugs. And at that point, uh, Benton says, you know, uh, why don't you come and, and uh, be my assistant uh, at my pharmacy? I could use someone uh, who could help me out in my pharmacy. And so the scene shifts again, and um, it's later on that evening after the pharmacy is closed, and uh, Tim and Bob are, are in the, the uh, part of the, of the pharmacy where Benton formulates the various uh, drugs that he sells to his customers. And we find out that uh, he is also trying to come up with a formula uh, that will help people who are run down, as he says, or run down people, but I've had no luck uh, in getting it perfected. Uh, he says it's the kind of kind of thing a chap like me would fool around with. And all my life, folks have been picking on me, and I've dreamed about something which could help me build my strength. And so Tim says, well, that's really cool. Let me try to help you out here. And so uh, Benton sends him to the cupboard to get a particular chemical and uh, says he needs to add some of that chemical to this uh, formula to hopefully get this uh, formula right. Well, unfortunately, Tim grabs the wrong type of uh, chemical, and they pour something into this uh, this potion that Bob Benton has been working on called formic acid that Benton said is a fluid obtained from red ants. And he uh, is pretty angry at Tim for getting him the wrong chemical that they pour into this uh, into this formula that they had been working on because he says, well, you've ruined it. And then Tim says, well, red ants, I thought that they were the strongest things alive. And Benton says, well, you know, maybe you're right. Let's see what we can do with this. I'm going to make a few more changes and see what happens. And when he does that, uh, the chemical takes on a very strange property. And as Tim says, wow, it's like liquid dynamite. And as Benton breathes in the fumes from this chemical, all of a sudden he feels super strong. And sure enough, he, without much effort at all, breaks the table in half that they have been working on and then very shortly after that with one arm lifts up a very heavy safe from his pharmacy and he learns that he has gotten super strength from this particular formula. Uh, Not only that, he learns that uh, he's got some type of invulnerability as well. And so he decides that uh, he's going to use these powers and he says, I'll do something I've always daydreamed about. Use my strength to fight crime and evil. But none will know that poor Bob Benton's no longer a weakling. I want you to go to a theatrical costumer tomorrow morning. Don't tell him what it's for, but this is the kind of rig I want. And so the next morning, Tim, as I mentioned earlier, goes to this costume shop and gets the costume that I described earlier for the use of Bob Benton in his role as 
what will become the Black Terror. And sure enough, the next day, uh, Jean Starr, who later on becomes a love interest of Bob Benton, appears at the pharmacy and once again admonishes him and says, you know, you really need to learn how to take care of yourself, Bob. It was ridiculous that Comptroller Clark had to rescue you, a grown man. And so about that time, they realize that the thugs are coming up the street and uh, Bob uh, says, you know, I need to excuse myself for a moment. I will be back shortly. And the thugs come in and accost Gene and uh, Tim, who is also in the room. And then all of a sudden, on the next page in the first panel, in walks the Black Terror in his costume for the first time. And, of course, he makes very short work of these thugs. Uh, they strike him, and his uh, body is virtually invulnerable. And it's like uh, Superman, of course, uh, as they hit him, uh, their, their fist break. And he throws them all out of the door and tells them that uh, they need to go back to their boss and tell their boss that the Black Terror has declared war on him. And so as they leave in their car, he uh, runs with uh, a semblance of super speed after them and hides on the back of their vehicle until they get back to the hideout of their boss ahead of the protection racket. And he climbs to the top of the building and then dives through the window, shattering it onto the floor, makes quick work of the thugs once again, captures the protection racket boss, and promptly delivers him to the police, who are down the street in their patrol car. And he puts a little copy of his black mask on the the lapel of of the boss, the crime boss, so that the police will know that that is the symbol of the black terror to be used in the future. And so then the scene shifts uh, to uh, Gene, who is telling Bob what a wonderful guy this Black Terror is, and who could he be, and it's just too bad that Bob can't be more like him. And of course, we've heard this many, many times before with other superheroes and other uh, alter egos, but you know, it's a formula that works uh, for the golden age of comic books, so by golly, uh, they're going to repeat it many times. Then we go on into another uh, scene, and this is with uh, the controller who we met before, meeting with the mayor, talking about a subway station that's going to be put in and how they're going to go about trying to avoid uh, the racketeers who are trying to, uh, in, a, in a corrupt way in this city, get the contracts to build the subway. And uh, the mayor decides that he's going to, to try to change the route of the subway to avoid the effect of these corrupt uh, politicians and racketeers and um, someone about this time slips a note under the door of the mayor's office threatening that because he won't play ball with them, they're going to cause a crash of a subway train that may kill hundreds of people. Well, Tim is uh, standing nearby and overhears this, and he runs back and tells Bob Menton about what might happen and that the Black Terror probably needs to do something about this. And so the Black Terror dones his costume and takes off to try to find out what's going to happen with the subway uh, crooks that are going to plan this terrible crash. Well, in the meantime, um, Tim is still in the laboratory and comes across a vial of the chemical that gave the Black Terror his powers, and as he breathes in these fumes, lo and behold, he also becomes supercharged and becomes uh, the sidekick, Tim, of the Black Terror, Later on, by the way, they call them, uh, as they work together, the Terror Twins. Not the dynamic duo, but the Terror Twins. And as he 
uh, as he lets the effect of this chemical uh, wash over him, he realizes that he too has super strength. In fact, he picks up a chair and tears it in half with his bare hands. And so he puts on his costume, the identical of the uh, Black Terror, and goes after uh, his, uh, his boss. Now the scene shifts again, and the Black Terror is looking around in the subway trying to find the crooks. Well, somehow they're able to sneak up behind him and knock him over the head and uh, knock him out. If he's invulnerable, I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. And they tie him to the subway tracks, and they decide that as the subway train comes, uh, it'll just run him over and kill him, and that'll be the end of the Black Terror, who has continued to thwart their plans. Well, sure enough, in comes Tim, finds the thugs tying up his their uh, his boss, and uh, he makes short work of the thugs who think, well, he's just a kid, we can take care of him pretty easily, and he knocks them out uh, lickety-split. But I think he utters probably one of my uh, my favorite lines uh, that I've read recently in the Golden Age of Comic Books, and that is, he says, Leaping lima beans, I got here just in time. Now, that's probably the first time I've heard a sidekick or a superhero say leaping lima beans in the Golden Age of Comic Books. Uh, hopefully I won't have to read it again, but I thought uh, I thought that was certainly a classic in the making. So after Tim takes care of these crooks, uh, knocks them out, uh, he releases the Black Terror, uh, who has come to finally, and they realize that the crooks have already released some empty subway cars that are going to crash into a subway car crowded with people down the track of waves. And so the Black Terror, with his super strength, stops the empty cars, basically he just uh, steps in front of them and, and hits them with his hands and completely crushes them off the track. And then they also, uh, Tim runs down the track and makes sure that the, the loaded subway car is stopped by the driver. And uh, they save the day, of course, and uh, that's the end of the particular adventure of the Black Terror, except that at the end of the story, the Black Terror returns to Bob Benton's pharmacy he sees uh, Gene, and he sees the controller who had to bail him out of trouble early in the story. And he, for some strange reason, decides to slug the controller in the nose, I guess, for being rude to him earlier. And, of course, he grabs Gene and gives her uh, a big romantic kiss and then runs off to change back into his alter ego of Bob Benton. And as the scene uh, shifts from... Bob and Jean talking and her once again wondering who the Black Terror could be and, and, and why Bob couldn't be more like the Black Terror instead of a scared mouse that he actually is. At the end of the story, we see the Black Terror and his sidekick, Tim, standing in their costumes. And the Black Terror says, well, Tim, are we going to show these folks some action? And Tim says, are we? Just wait for next month's exciting comics. And so that ends the first appearance and origin and introduction of the Black Terror and his sidekick, Tim, the Terror Twins. Now, the Black Terror had a continuous run in exciting comics, starting with that issue number 9 in May of 1941, all the way through issue number 69. That was the September 1949 issue. The Black Terror didn't only appear in exciting comics, he appeared in a couple of other titles as well in the Golden Age, both published by Nieder. One was America's Best Comics. The first issue, number one, appeared on the stands in February of 1942, and the Black Terror appeared in that title, along with many of the other popular Nieder superheroes of the time. 
Issue number two didn't come out until September of 1942, a number of months later. And then that title continued as a quarterly book until issue number 31. That was the July 1949 issue. The Black Terror also got his own title, one of the only neater um, superheroes that did. And Black Terror comics appeared on the stands, and it's with issue number one, that was the winner, 1942-1943 issue. And it ran all the way through issue number 27, that was the June 1949 issue. But the Black Terror's last appearance in the Golden Age of Comics was the issue of Exciting Comics number 69, the September 1949 issue, as I mentioned. Now, I said earlier that if you're a fan of Alex Schomburg, you'll love the Black Terror uh, covers that appeared not only on Exciting Comics, but on America's Best Comics and on Black Terror Comics. The first Schomburg cover that appeared on Exciting Comics was with issue number 26 of Exciting Comics, and he... he um, uh, did most of the Black Terror covers uh, and America's Best covers and uh, Exciting Comics covers until 1949. Uh, it's hard, again, to describe uh, something that's visual on a podcast, but uh, you really need to check out Alex Schomburg's covers, not only uh, on Exciting and America's Best and Black Terror comics, but on other titles that he was involved in during the Golden Age of Comic Books. He was particularly adept at drawing beautiful women, and he was uh, particularly adept at drawing science fiction covers as well. In fact, if you'll take a look at uh, the uh, exciting comics covers, starting with issue number 56, the last uh, Black Terror cover on exciting was in issue number 55, but that title, as I mentioned, ran until issue number 69. Issues 56 through 66 are Alex Schomburg covers, where he draws Judy of the Jungle, not a real inspiring title, but they are an excellent example of the beautiful women that Schomburg could draw on the covers of Golden Age comic books, so check those out. The last uh, couple of issues of exciting comics, issues 67, 68, and 69, those were Western-themed covers, but again, drawn by Alex Schomburg. Now, I should have mentioned earlier that the very first story of the Black Terror from Exciting Number 9 was written by Richard Hughes, who wrote many of the neater stories during the Golden Age of Comic Books. And the um, art was done by Dave Gabrielson. And that team of writer and artist actually did uh, probably the first mm, maybe 10 to 15 stories of the Black Terror in exciting comics, and then there were many other artists and writers on the various uh, series of the Black Terror during the Golden Age. Now, the Black Terror, uh, after his last appearance in September of 1949, was gone from the comic book scene for a very long time and was not revived until Eclipse did a three-issue series of the Black Terror in October of 1989. Uh, and then he has also appeared in publications that have been done uh, by AC Comics and most recently in America's Best Comics. In AC Comics, you'll find reprints of a number of the Golden Age Black Terror stories. I've mentioned AC Comics before on the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast. You can go to their website, accomics.com, and they sell various magazines that contain those Golden Age reprints. 
most of the black terror stories uh, are now in the public domain, and so they are readily available not only from AC Comics, but you can find them online uh, that have been scanned. In fact, my copy of Exciting Number 9, the Black uh, Terror origin story that I was um, uh, reading from earlier, I actually found that online uh, at a site uh, where you can download lots of scans of old Golden Age comic books that have been in the public domain for a number of years and no longer subject to copyright laws. And so you can find those and download them and, uh, and read them. And I think you'll find those real enjoyable. And it's a a nice, uh, obviously cheap way to find some of the more obscure Golden Age material that's been scanned in. Unfortunately, this particular issue of Exciting Number 9 that I downloaded uh, was not complete. But uh, the good thing is the Black Terror story was complete. So there you have it, the Black Terror, one of the great uh, Golden Age characters from Nieder. One of the most popular Golden Age superheroes from that particular publisher and certainly one of the superheroes with the coolest superhero costumes from the golden age of comic books all right everybody well that's going to do it for the 57th installment of the golden age of comic books we're glad everybody joined me for this episode i hope you've enjoyed learning about the black terror and a little bit about the book seal of approval the history of the comics code by amy nyberg don't forget our email address, goldenagecomics at gmail.com. I get a lot of good emails from folks about the Golden Age of Comic Books, the episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books podcast, and just old comic books generally. So if you have any questions or comments about this particular show, uh, please drop us an email. You can also visit our website, goldenagecomics.org. That'll take you to the blog page where I have posted the show notes from this episode, and you'll find show notes from other episodes of the Golden Age of Comic Books. Don't forget also our Comic Space site, comicspace.com forward slash Golden Age Comics. Uh, there you'll find uh, a hypertext index of all of the episodes of the Golden Age Comics. You can click on any one of those. It'll take you to the show notes page and links to downloading this particular episode of the Golden Age of Comic Books. Also, of course, don't forget to go over to the forum, the Golden Age of Comic Book Podcast forum at the Comic Geek Speak forums. I appreciate those guys letting me have space there on the forums, and uh, I always post information about the particular episodes that we've done, and there's a lot of good discussion there from time to time about the episodes of Golden Age of Comic Books. So, thanks again for joining us. I hope everybody uh, has a great week or month coming up, depending on how long it takes me to get to the next episode. And please get on out there and find some Golden Age material to read. And let me know what you think about it. Give me some good ideas about Golden Age stories or characters or comics that are your favorite. So, until then, I look forward to talking to each and every one of you about Golden Age comic books.